And I need a cord that has little bumpies on it. Didn't we better? almost have it all? Just, I, do I have nothing. Was I supposed to have something? You have it all, Heidi. Heidi was so annoyed with our banter, she just left. Welcome to another potentially useful episode of the TCAPS Loop Podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and virtually packed into the Google Meet like digital sardines is Danielle, David, and TCAPS Seneschal of STEM, the constable of coding. It's Heidi Skodak. Welcome, one and all. As always, the first block of code to be placed in our workspace has to be the TCAPS Loop moment of zen. You get the best effort from others, not by lighting a fire beneath them, but by building a fire within. That's from Bob Nelson. I am so excited for this podcast. We usually touch base on this event every year, though maybe not so much last year. But I feel like this year we're a little more primed for an extremely successful week of coding in a few weeks. So let's talk Hour of Code, folks. Heidi, since you're the guest, do you want to start us off on describing what the Hour of Code is? Sure. And I don't know if I'm the guest because everyone on here has, it has been a team effort, including you, Larry. So Danielle and David and Evan and Steffi. So, I mean, it really is a group effort when we're talking about Hour of Code this year. So let's go into details. For those uninitiated, I mean, everybody in this, in this podcast, you know, has, has dealt on some level with the hour of code in the past. But, you know, I think one of the things that we're trying to do is evangelize what is the hour of code and what are we trying to, I guess, achieve through this hour of code? Well, I would say the overarching goal is that really it's a national call to action for students to learn about computer science and computational thinking, simply because of where all jobs and careers are all tied to computer science in some way. So really it's a call to action to try to get as many students as we can and adults and teachers involved in the idea about the importance of computer science and, in this case, coding, you know, getting exposure to coding. So um, a lot of it comes from, you know, just statistics that we're getting back. You know, there's 400,000 jobs that are currently open in computer science-related fields, and it continues to grow. In 70% of computing Occupations are actually outside the IT or information technology field, which is where people usually associate all computer science programming within. So very interesting stats, lots more to go with that, but those are two that stand out to me. I think the hour of code is something that every student can use, right? Because it's nurturing problem solving and logic and creativity. And like those are skills our kids need no matter what they go into. Coding is a way for students to be able to find that path towards demonstration of learning in their own way, that if we had some more opportunities for that coding to happen in the daily classroom, uh, we, we talk a lot about offering kids an opportunity to have their, their voice and their choice. And I remember when Gracie was in, my daughter, just talking about my daughter as if everybody knows her. I remember when, when my daughter was in sixth or seventh grade, they had an assignment to do a scale model. And some people did a scale model of their bedroom on a sheet of graph paper and measured everything and how many blocks would the bed be, et cetera. And she went into Minecraft and built a scale model of the Mackinac Bridge and had to determine very quickly that she had to scale everything down or she'd be there 
for days putting in the millions of bricks that were necessary. But she learned an awful lot about scale. She had to do some some more meth than was actually required for the for the assignment. And she had an awful lot of fun doing it. And she did have the lake down there and she put a unicorn in it. That opportunity to personalize your learning and demonstrate your learning in a way that's a, a matter of choice can can come through coding. I also want to say Hour of Code is a good chance for us to talk about these kinds of careers with students that are women or students that are from at-risk households. Like we're trying to expand the STEM fields too. That's a great point. As well as, I mean, it's a core subject area at this point, as far as, um, you know, where we need to head with our students. When you think about computer science and foundational learning, that really is one of the pieces that should be included at a very young age and start to give opportunities for students to experience all students, exactly going back to what Danielle says. How are we making sure we're servicing underprivileged students, um, students, you know, with socioeconomic backgrounds that may not have exposure, like other students, females going into careers that are related to STEM and computer science. So all those things for sure. You know, I didn't know that stuff when I was a kid. I think about, you know, girl growing up in the UP. I didn't know engineers. I didn't know computer science as a field. I my worldview is small, and I, I wish I would have had some of those experiences and some of those role models and some of those connections when I was younger. Well, and I think the idea of computer science uh, then was much smaller as well, and I think it has grown. When we talk about coding, we're not talking about writing endless lines of code, especially in re- regards to the hour of code. It's not like we're just trying to write all, this, all these different lines to get the cursor bouncing across the screen like it did when we were you know, when we were kids, this is something a little bit different. Could you maybe, you know, describe what we're talking about as far as coding is concerned, specific to the hour of code? I'm not sure if this is going to answer your question completely, or if this is where you're headed, but let's find out. We'll find out together. One of the things that we're offering in our hour of code activities are different types of of coding. Like some of it is uh, the block kind of coding where the students can um, just simply drag the code tools into a palette to put together a list of commands that will make a, a sprite, a uh, an image, do something. And that's a very basic form of coding that allows uh, even young students to create a list of commands and then see the results of that happen right away on their screen. And so it shows that they have control over that that little piece of their world. That's a really fun thing to be able to do. And the connection, of course, is that each one of those little pieces of code does something in the world. And ultimately, you start from that little tiny coding, the little sprite to dance around, and you end up doing something like we just listened to the one of the people who is a CEO of... Um, oh, she was a CEO of Reddit, and now she does her own company. Right. And so you end up with all these people who are end up programming social media devices or running uh, code for um, medical devices even because those things are controlled by the computer. So it has to start somewhere. It has to start small. And this is an opportunity for kids to have a number of different ways to explore code in that sort of beginning phase. And, And I think just explore computer science in general. Danielle had an excellent idea to offer at 9.15 every day, the week of code, correct? Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. Okay. So nine o'clock that, you know, STEM professionals 
are going to basically it's a career interview with students. So it was a great idea. Danielle, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. We're working with um, Shelly Vandermulen from the MySTEM Network, and she is going to host, we're, we're going to co-host, co-moderate these discussions with STEM professionals, like Heidi mentioned. Every day at 9 a.m., classrooms can tune in and they can watch this live interview and start talking about these careers, because I think it is important that we see that STEM careers aren't just the, you know, person sitting in a room by themselves coding. If you were really good at relationships, there are coding jobs for you. And if you're really good at um, dance or art, there are coding jobs for you. Like coding really goes through all these different careers. I'm excited for these interviews. That's my favorite part of the week right now, the live events. I think that's something that I'm going to be the most interested in. That's the newest thing that we're doing. And I'm really excited for that. So even if I'm not going to have my kids do the activities, let's say, but I can put on that interview during one of my classes. That's a great introduction and and a great use of my time. And the last piece of it really is how do we start engaging families in the conversation about learning more about code? And so a big component of it really is allowing or um, helping spur that interest at home as well. So we have opportunities for parents and students at home to participate and the possibility of, you know, prizes as well. So we're excited just about the opportunity to bring that concept of coding to the home, to any home within TCAPS for that matter, or across America or anywhere else we're talking about, but um, really bring it to homes and get parents active in the learning of about coding. It's one of the great benefits of being a one-to-one school district. We can't, we really can get this, not just in our classrooms, but to every student, regardless of their socioeconomic background, it, it really can be a full community event. I think this is something that maybe other districts could look at and go, oh, this is this is how we can how we can make that happen. Not only with our parents, but also with some of our our teachers that are maybe a little less native to uh, computer science. How are we getting them involved? How are we convincing them to be a part of the Hour of Code? I can talk about some of the other uh, things that we're doing. Um, having Steffi, who's the elementary teacher librarian, having her as a part of our team has brought a new perspective. So she automatically brings in the book and literacy piece that really comes easily to a lot of our teachers. So we have found ways that they can blend in literacy with this coding and the STEM. Um, we have a section where we have highlighted some STEM story time on demand. So we link to that teaching books website that we know Steffi is in love with. And we're offering um, authors reading their books. So things like, you know, Rosie Revere, engineer, Ada Twist, scientist, um, Mario and the Hole in the Sky, Joan Proctor, dragon doctor, the woman who loved reptiles. I mean, who doesn't want to watch that and talk about those kinds of careers? So I think that's a new exciting piece. Um, Another exciting piece that I think kind of goes along with that. Um, Steffi curated a book list for us from teachingbooks.net and there's like 90 plus elementary level STEM books that kids can go onto the site and look through and see these author interviews and these STEM connections and to, so that they can make their own list from the library that books that they want to check out and read, like just getting that literature connection, I think is a really, really cool piece. Yeah, and there's connections to all areas of the curriculum, especially you'll you'll see natural connections to math and to science as well as ELA. 
um, whether it's the computational thinking piece, you know, and I think for new people who are have never coded or done anything before, making the connections to what they're already doing and how it aligns to computer science and coding all comes together. So when when you're developing a code or problem solving through a code, you're using those skills that you would use as a scientist or as a mathematician. You know, it could be problem solving or teamwork or going through an iterative design process. So things that they are very familiar with that they're using within when they teach their math, teach math or science um, or subject matter. Communication is key. So drawing those parallels to um, really those key understandings of the development of coding and computer science principles and alignment to current curriculum is really helpful for people who are just being introduced, as well as I think everyone will agree with this. You do not need to know anything about code to get involved and participate in Hour of Code. And that's the key thing we want and hope that all teachers and parents would understand. But we also have support. So like if you are a teacher that really wants to try it and is afraid, we have Danielle and David that they could reach out to and help with that process if they're still a little bit nervous about doing it. So we have resources as far as people. We have resources available at our websites, our elementary website, our secondary website, and our family website. So just don't be afraid to dip your toe in and try it. We have supports and are happy to support any teacher or classroom that would like to do it. I would also like to challenge schools, entire schools, to step on the code.org and get their entire school to participate at one point during that, at least once during um, that week. It would be, I don't think we've ever had an entire school, which would be a big ask, um, participate in Hour of Code. So that's my challenge this year is, do we get to the point where we have an entire school um, that participated, every classroom participating in um, a code.org, Hour of Code activity? That would be incredible. I'm expecting one of our high schools, David, and that's on you. What 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 are your, some of your evangelizing that you're doing, David, to get more students and uh, teachers involved? Right. So the goal is is not to focus on like the coding itself or the activities itself, but the purpose of the the whole event. You know, we often have things like pep assemblies or music assemblies that will take um, students out of uh, a purely academic uh, focus for part of the day where they're not doing math, they're not doing science, they're not doing language arts, and that's okay. And so one of the things I'm going to try to do is say, let us have uh, a little bit of time where it's not your curriculum that we're necessarily addressing, but it's something that can be significant to your curriculum or to your kid's level of understanding about a topic that is important to their learning and is important to their growth. So it's not that it's not academic. But it's also, you know, they're not going to necessarily find an activity that's related to studying American literature and what we're doing on the Hour of Code. But I feel like asking them to engage in that as a kind of uh, a learning opportunity that's similar to a cultural learning opportunity. Coding is often talked about it as like uh, a new language and that uh, there are some places where you can get foreign language credit for taking computer languages. Some universities are now accepting that. Instead of taking German or French, you can take a computer language to meet that to your credit. And so 
that I think is the context is trying to encourage them to engage in it as another learning opportunity that's valuable for our students. I guess maybe you have to take a little galaxy brain look at at, at coding to see something like, like this. But oftentimes with our with our curriculum, especially specific subject areas, our students are doing one thing after another very specifically, and they don't have an opportunity to see the, the bigger picture of the process that they're going through. In some ways, coding gives them a, a view of actually how our curriculum is built because it's, coding is built in a very similar way to some extent, especially when you look at blocks. You know, we're building one thing upon another thing upon another thing. It's, it's you know, scaffolding to some extent. But sometimes when you take a student out of the subject area specifically, they can actually, through coding, have a view of how the subjects the subject area gets built and how their actual learning and their education gets built. I totally agree with that because really what I think really gets the students really hooked or involved is like that simulation piece at the end. So you're taking them through all the steps, whether it's an algorithm to figure out, you know, what are those complex steps to break down into very basic steps to then take it into the problem solving piece. But really it's that simulation at the end of being able to see what is the output that actually keeps the engagement for the students and teaches a bunch of the principles that, again, are tied to those um, standard principles in math, science, and, and in ELA as well. But it's the simulation piece or the actual product at the end that they're able to see the steps that they took to get through. So super exciting, too, when you see it happen in a classroom. And Danielle and Dave has have spent quite a bit of time in TCAPS classrooms over the years because we've done this quite a few years. But to see it when it sparks student interest, and it always is on that back end. Oh, it didn't work. I got to go back and try it again. I got to make some adjustments and then to get that final product from that simulation. So that's exactly what you're saying is is what happens when students um, have an opportunity that maybe they haven't had before to code. You know, I would like to share my favorite thing that happens when I go in and watch kids do these. So a lot of the sites that we share are from code.org because they've created all these things for Hour of Code, and they're very step-by-step. They give the kids small little chunks, the kids practice it, then they give them a little bit more, and they practice it, and there's video supports. Like They're just fantastic. Code.org has done a great job building this movement, but it's so cool when you go into the classroom, because you, you the kids all start on these tutorials, and they, they do a little bit, and they're like, huh, this is easy. This is awesome. And then they get about, you know, four or five steps in about right in the middle. And then it gets tough and they get stuck and they want to quit and they want to move to an easier one. It happens every single time, every classroom I go in and you can see the kids that have had practice with this sticking with problems that are tough because they will work their way through no problem. But those kids that stick they get stuck. They don't know what to do. They want to move to an easier one. That's such a cool opportunity to sit there with the kid and be like, okay, this is hard and that's okay. Let's try something and let's see what happens and let's try something else. And just to see the growth and to see those kinds of kids, to see them finish that whole entire hour and watch them get through that part where it was difficult and get through that progression. That is beautiful. I'll tell you one of my favorite parts. And that's when You've got kids that are working side by side and maybe they're even doing the same thing and one of them does it and the other one somehow doesn't. And they lean over and they say, how'd you do that? 
And then the two of them communicate about the differences and they look at what they've created and they look at the steps and they try to find the fatal flaw. And then when they do, and then it works again, you might see a high five. You might see, you know, a little mini celebration like that. And that's one of the things that I like to see is when, when this leads to some collaboration and some team thinking about not only identifying that something doesn't work, but okay, now what do we do about it? Because the person who did have success, if they're going to provide some support, they're going to have to look at it and, and um, diagnose where the issue might be and help that other person think through that. So that's one of my favorite things to see. That's a real world application too. I mean, that's what happens in, in any job that you have. You have to work in a team and you have to be trusting of the other people for support. And one of the amazing things about this is we're teaching our students to be learners. Uh, you know, that's kind of the point of this whole thing. You had mentioned earlier the different sites. Where can they find this? For sure. So all of our TCAPS resources are housed together on one site. Um, it is a bit.ly, so bit.ly slash TCAPS codes. And that'll get you right there into our site that has our elementary and secondary resources. Um, we did mention that a lot of them are pulled from code.org. Code.org, hour of code. Mm-hmm. Dot org. I think we're going to have a tcaps.net backslash code. Yes. So that's cool. It'll be everywhere. And you guys have done a great job uh, putting those sites together. I think there's going to be a lot of buy-in this year. Um, is there anything else? I, I know we wanted to talk a little bit, and I've noticed this on both Danielle and David's uh, sites, the hashtag CS for good. The hashtag CS for good is, again, something that uh, code.org was starting to work on. And it's just the idea that computer science can help solve a lot of the world's challenges. And that that's where some of the power with this stuff comes in, is that people are using computer science to detect problems and find creative solutions and ensure equity and inclusion. There's a lot of, again, resources on our site where we can provide a video and some questions to help teachers run one of these discussions in their classroom. How is computer science being used for good in this example? So I think hashtag CS for good um, is a great place to go to just get some ideas. And the other thing that I was thinking about when I was looking over that resource, which I completely stole from you and embedded within my secondary webpage. And I was starting to think about, okay, so let's say I'm I'm an English teacher, I'm a math or science teacher, and I'm I'm thinking, well, maybe we don't want to do the activities thing. But here's a whole set of articles that we're offering through this hashtag CS for good section of our website where they can have kids do some reading activities using articles that are specifically in this theme of computer science for good. So it's another opportunity for teachers to participate in this day, even if they feel like they're not comfortable or don't want to get into the actual day of having their kids code using these simulations that we're offering, they can still connect with computer science through these reading opportunities. So we didn't get to really talk about the computer science standards in Michigan. Can we have Heidi on again to talk about those in depth and give them the time that they deserve? Absolutely. I was wondering about that. Yeah, for sure. Heidi, please. I know, I know Danielle wants to talk about one very specific, right? What's your favorite? I know your favorite. Talk about it. It's ethics. That is, it's, it's ethics of technology. It's where tech, how should we be using it and how can we relegate it and should we be relegating it? That's, 
I mean, digital citizenship, privacy, there's all kinds of good stuff in there, Heidi. I want to have you back to talk more about that. Yeah, there's there's a lot in the computer science standards. And remember, those only came out in May of 2019 when they made it official for MDE in the state of Michigan. So um, lots of ideas in there. So I thought I would talk more about the overarching concepts that the standards are designed around and then the vision for why it was designed. So very quickly, the vision was all learners will develop a foundational computer science skills to solve problems and be constructive citizens. So, um, and under that is learning approaches to problem solving, which you'll hear, I mean, you've heard quite a few times in our conversation today, harnessing the power of computational thinking, again, something we've touched on quite a bit, and using computer science tools to create technology. And that's that create piece that's so important on the computer science side. And the overarching concepts um, that are embedded within one of the pieces that Danielle was talking about earlier were computing systems, networks, and the internet, data and analysis, algorithms and programming, and impacts of computing. So those are the categories, the overarching concepts with computer science, but the subcategories are long and hefty and relate are a little bit more relatable when you're thinking about how you tie them to general subjects like science, math, you know, ELA. So those are the overarching concepts, but there's lots more to dig into. And um, we do have lots of places where they're already embedded within curriculum that someday we'll have time to talk about. Nice little teaser of an upcoming episode, which, yeah, this is not this is not a throw-in that we're going to do on the end of an Hour of Code podcast. Why not? It could be like a three-hour podcast. I'm <laughs> yes. sure people would listen, Larry. <laughs> but I know, Danielle, as long as we got in the data literacy and privacy piece, we were golden, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else? Getting it back to the Hour of Code, is there anything else you guys want to mention concerning the Hour of Code? I would just say try it. Give it a try. Exposure for students, students be able to just have access to it. Even if you're just dabbling in it, it's all a good thing. We know that we want to prepare them for future jobs. And this really is a foundational skill at this point for our kids. I will say every teacher gets into education to see that spark of learning in the child's eyes. And a few years ago, when I went around with Danielle to some different, some of the different classrooms, there was so much of that. If if you're kind of grinding through the year and you need a little bit of inspiration, doing this for an hour, you're going to see several students with that look in their eye. And it's priceless. It's the best feeling. So let's move on to, I don't know, maybe Tech Tool of the Week. Tech Tool of the Week. This week, I want to highlight um, an amazing resource that I found on, well, I didn't find it. I was directed toward it, but um, it's on Go Open Michigan. So this is a great place to discover new resources for your classroom. Um, And what I want to share is the Northwestern Lower Michigan STEM Career Profiles. So they have created with the My STEM Network and Northwest Michigan Works career profiles that you can use in your classrooms. And they are local people talking about their jobs. So like I pulled up a crane operator named Venice from Elmers who talks about what they do in their job and how they use math and science. It's pretty fantastic. Awesome. David, do you have any uh, tangents for us to go down? You, you really didn't have any opportunities uh, today to take us down a random tangent. We still haven't really um, talked about Dune much, but that's another three-hour podcast, I think. <laughs> All right. So uh, in closing, follow us on Twitter at TCAPS Loop. At Brostrom DA. At Technologist. 
<laughs> All right, subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Thanks for listening and inspiring. I'm not sure entirely what Heidi was saying there, but that's okay. She's out. <laughs> she's had enough. And she's back. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>